Welcome back to episode two, Boss Lady Alliance. Today, we will be speaking about community belonging. And this comes right off our conversations around taking the leap or those chances in our lives to try something new or to do or become what we've always wanted to be. And um, we want to continue that with how we do build community and rely on community um, to assist in our chances and choices in life. Always come out of the gate strong. And um, and why building that community and, and having that sense is, is so challenging. So we want to break some of that down and see if we can't make it a little easier on all of us today. So um, that being said, my name is Muna Silva, and I am a people leader at a Fortune 500 company where I face the challenges of building that sense of community and belonging with my team every day. I'm Christy Silva. I'm a leadership coach and analyst, and I help leaders and teams develop their transformative skills to um, cultivate more human-centered cultures, and that includes community as well. So community is so important for both of our professions and also work-life health and balance. Definitely health, both mental and physical, yeah. personal and at work. Yes. Yeah. So thank you for joining us today. Um, Boss Lady Alliance is off to a strong start and we love that participation and uh, excitement that we are seeing as we have these conversations. So again, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, Patreon, RSS. You can listen on Amazon Music and Spotify. And of course, uh, watch us on YouTube. That is so cool. And you can also connect with us and continue the conversation and be a part of the conversation on uh, through RSS as well as Patreon and any of our social media platforms. Such a good way to uh, keep the conversation going and let us know what resonates with you and also provide additional um, experience and feedback and um, knowledge that we may or may not have covered. So it's really exciting to be so um, nimble in our connection to you as the listener. Yes, because each of our uh, conversation topics is meant to be two parts. So today we'll do our general discussion and then we will follow on with our brief episode where we integrate your comments and the feedback and what you have chosen to share with us um, that needs to be highlighted or those hard lessons. So please um, join our conversation and, and help us share amongst each other. It's such a cool format, too. I think it really folds in the listener into the conversation in a really meaningful way. And it also allows us to kind of really 
dig deeper into some of these topics that um, that we want to talk about. So definitely, we went deep. Yeah, <laughs> deep. <laughs> we tend to, don't we? I love it. Yes, but I think it's fun just taking that time and and dedicating that time to do that thinking that we don't always get to indulge in. Mm -hmm. So I'm having fun. Thank you, Christy. It's so cool. It's so cool. And I really enjoy the preparation process too. So I I really look forward to um, um, as we move along more and more engagement with um, our listeners, because it is such a fun, um, a fun thing to create community around some of these topics and, and really kind of where we're at in our lives and, and really get more understanding and broaden the information that we, um, that we bring to light. So it's cool. Stoked to be on this journey with you for sure. So uh, one disclaimer though, for, for our great community here at Boss Lady Alliance, uh, we, Christy and I came out of the gate thinking we'd be able to really stay on a firm schedule. And the very first week, uh, life got in the way. Uh, And I think that's just the way it's going to be, right? So um, we will stay communicative and let you know as episodes and things are coming out. But I am not going to guarantee a firm schedule um, because I'll just disappoint you. And the um, basically what we decided is it is more critical for us to have fun, be prepared, and um, really enjoy this time with each other and with you than it is to stay on a schedule. So there'll be some flexibility there. It's worth it. Here, here. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about women you love? I think that's a great way to uh, continue this. Um, I'm actually really excited about the name that I see for you, Miss Christy, because I've had a lot of questions on this and I think your woman you love that you're going to highlight today will answer some of those, uh, some of those thoughts. Yeah, you got it. So the woman I love is Dr. Sarah Gottfried and I heard about her from an Andrew Huberman podcast. I've heard this term Huberman husband. Husband, have you? No. Okay. Well, I'm kind of an avid Andrew Huberman follower. He's a neuroscientist and ophthalmologist. Um, and he's out of Stanford, I believe. Anyway, so he has a lot of different people on his podcast. And he had this woman, and he talks a lot about gut health, body health, um, uh, you know, neurology, all of those things. And in my journey of becoming post or perimenopause. So, um, my whole, uh, body is kind of going through this, um, full rebirth and it's just amazing to kind of be along for the ride. Essentially. It's sort of like when I had my son, but it's real slow um, and, um, real drawn out. And, and so I'm, I was along for the ride in a bit as, as it were when I gave birth to Dylan, because basically my body kind of took over and did whatever it was going to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of experiencing that through my, um, 
perimenopause and moving into menopause. And so again, I'm, I'm, you know, gathering information about all the different ways to alleviate that experience. Um, I cannot take um, hormone replacement therapy. A lot of women find great relief with that um, experience, but, but I personally can't do that. And because I'll have a stroke. And so um, so I'm looking for natural ways to do that. And Dr. Sarah Gottfried um, was a guest on his podcast and talked a lot about hormone health and um, aging and what that looks like um, for women and the process. And she just was just a wealth of information. And not only that, I think um, she really provides a useful platform uh, to um, for women to really uh, fact find for themselves and and uh, get as much information as they possibly can about what might be going on with their bodies. I think every body is different and and she's she speaks from experience that she speaks from knowledge um, and as sort of I feel um, been one of the um, um, the mavericks in um, the menopause movement. Like I see this underground menopause movement happening, you know, within social media. And I know that Oprah had posted something about menopause and had a really like in detail um, uh, uh, platform with a lot of women who um, can provide information. Um, and um, so, so I think it, the, um, stigmatism around menopause and perimenopause is um, slowly being washed away. Like when I first started to experience perimenopause um, uh, symptoms, I didn't want to talk about it. And I felt very embarrassed and um, didn't know who to talk to to find out how I can alleviate some of the um, painful experience I was experiencing. And um, I talked to this older woman and, and asked her about it. And she's like, I am so excited for you. Like, this is just amazing. And I'm, I'm looking at her like, I think I'm going crazy. I'm not sure uh, what you mean by that, you know? <laughs> um, but it's a bit of a rite of passage. I mean, it's like becoming a, you know, it's a rebirth. It's becoming a crown. It's, it's, you know, my purpose has shifted from being a mother to, um, you know, being um, an elder. And, and there's some things that not only the mind does, but, and the body does, but the spirit does too. And I feel like um, Sarah Gottfried is really, um, keyed into a lot of those things. Um, she's, um, I'm just looking at her website now, just so I make sure I'm representing it properly, but she's um, a physician, a leader, a teacher, and a multiple New York Times bestselling author. I have not read her books, but I've listened to multiple podcasts with her. And I'm just, um, I'm really excited for, um, for women um, in the retrospect of that you know, the conversation around perimenopause and menopause is changing. I think I'm really grateful that she's a, um, you know, a maverick in that, in that movement. So that's, that's my lady. She's, she's my BFF right now. <laughs> yeah, trust me, I, I understand anything that gets you through, but your, uh, your unwavering 
optimism to even see this as such a gift is unbelievable because I think my optimism ends when I don't kill someone that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm working but, on it. It's getting better, but you know, survival. Yeah. No, for sure. I, yeah. And I, I, um, I, I believe that now, but I think when it was first happening, I, I did not agree. I thought this is just the worst thing. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I, I really thought that something was seriously wrong with me and that I, I, I thought I was, my mind was really kind of going crazy. I couldn't sleep. My brain felt like it was on fire. Every single joint in my body hurt. I mean, there's so many physical symptoms and almost like, um, I guess, psychological symptoms were happening. And I know that some women have different um, variations of this. I mean, you know, but I don't know because we don't talk about this a whole lot. And, and, and it comes at an interesting time. And I think we might've talked about this at some point where it's like, you're kind of at the the epic of your, you know, like you're in this like space in your career where you're like, you're reaching new heights and you're, you're becoming this, um, you're, you're creating or recreating this purpose. I mean, it's, it's a bit of like uh, a midlife crisis where things shift, you know, I shifted my whole life during this period, you know, and I don't think it had anything to do with COVID. It was it was in response to a lot of the beliefs that I let, let go of in the process of tending to myself for my per, my perimenopause, you know, and I left a job that I loved um, to, to pursue something that was much more bigger than me and which, which is my leadership coaching, you know, and I, I attribute that to um, to the shift in perspective that I gained from the experience of nurturing myself through menopause. I want you to be the woman I love. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're each other's women that we love, which is why we started a podcast. True, true. (laughs) Wow. Um, What are your questions? Did you you read about her? Uh, No, just, I I know that, you know, um, just your challenges and, and um the really intense lifestyle choices that you have made and um um you know just understanding more of the science behind that and where you're coming from and the how that fits into not just like menopause but life and yeah sorry I am trying to take, you know, a slightly easier road. I have the options of hormones and I know the world around me is much, very grateful for that. So I just, I don't know how you do it. I I think it's interesting. I'm not sure taking hormones is, is easier. I think all of us have our journey, you know, like we are given the journey that we need and sometimes hormone, you know, it's interesting. I, 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 I'm losing the, the need to place, um, judgment around someone else's experiences compared to mine, right? Like it, it, we all are walking this path into, um, elderhood and have our journey, um, to become that elder 
in our own ways, right? And so regardless of what gets us there, um, it is just as valid and just as um, rich and nurturing and important and hard and all of those things. Like, I, I think, you know, same with um, like women who have natural childbirth versus um, C-section, right? Like both are their own journey. Like both, neither are wrong or right. Some women want and schedule a C-section and some women and wants and schedule um, natural at-home births. And, and both I think are um, their own honorable journey. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't think it's helpful for us to, um, to weigh one over the other. I think they are both um, just as beautiful and arduous and have their, their processes. So I, that, but when it comes to me and my own personal experience, I want it to be easy as possible. Right. And I think that, that we are both in agreement of like, whatever we need to do to, to rise above, um, um, will I think affect our decision-making process on how, what that looks like for us. And I think some people want to rise above and some people don't. Um, I think people, some people feel that they, they don't have a choice. And I think that, um, I guess part of me bringing this up is that we all have a choice to have the experience that we want and deserve. And we are all worthy of um, um, ease and comfort, you know, whatever that looks like for us. And I think that encapsulates um, really the message, you know, of my perimenopause and menopause journey. Who knows, maybe once I get hot flashes all the time, I'll change my mind, but I think that's where I'm at. Like, I, I just, you know, we both are taking leaps and I think it's a huge act of self-confidence to, um, to provide ease and comfort for myself. And I think you have the same um, experience of confidence and belief in self that you are worthy of ease and comfort. And so therefore you do what's necessary in order to provide that for yourself. Like that is, um, some women don't have that. Like some women aren't there. And I, I just want to encourage women to do what is so, um, so your right is to have ease and comfort and whatever that looks like for you. And there's so many resources to um, to lean on to be able to pro provide that for yourself whatever that looks like yeah yeah amazing and uh actually our episode three our third topic is going to be about staying grounded so it's kind of fun that we're already touching on that <laughs> how do you maintain self and, and stay sane so mm. That's a hard one. <laughs> That'll be a long episode. Oh my God. Yeah, Who's your woman? I don't want to hear about her. Huh? Who's your woman? I want to hear about her. Uh, so um, for this week, I wanted to talk about Nadia Komenich. And she's 
probably the the first person in in life that I identified with and looked up to and and just wanted to be um, from the time I was for as long as I can remember. Uh, she just she's amazing. So uh, she is an Olympic gymnast, and in 1976, at the age of 14, she was the first person to ever get score a perfect 10. Uh, which was so unheard of in gymnastics at that time, the scoreboard was not even programmed to display it. So she did this amazing performance on the uneven bars for her compulsory routine, and the scoreboard flashed one. And, um, you know, she made... Unbelievable history that day, and ran uh, went on to win um, a total of nine Olympic gold medals through her career, and to uh, get seven uh, seven total perfect tens. Just an amazing athlete. She's like the Olympians Olympian because of her achievement. Like they so top tier, and um, uh, just an incredible personal story of challenge. She's Romanian. Um, you know, uh, she was, you know, raised in Romania under the communist Iron Curtain, and she had to actually defect on foot, run away at night. She left her country um, because she, you know, she recognized it was time to change or time to leave. Uh, she couldn't be anymore. And it was just a few weeks before the Romanian Revolution. Um, you know, she talks about that a lot, that, you know, she, she, you know, things were bad, but that the reality of how bad she was really unaware until she, until she got out and um, uh, just amazing. And she's, you know, dedicated her life to to um, working in Romania and working with sports and being an ambassador and um, working on different teams, um, uh, different associations within gymnastics and within the Olympics and she has um, gone back numerous times and and she um, has created her a charitable organization where you know she helps children and she you know pours tons of time and money and, and heart into making her home country better while she you know lives here in the states with her husband and helps run a you know, a gymnasium and raising a son and just an amazingly beautiful and strong, talented woman. And like I said, I mean, just from the time I was little, I watched her and just in awe of what she could do and how she did it. And, um, you know, I love gymnastics and, um, you know, modern gymnastics is amazing, but it's, very, very different um, than than what it was. And, you know, um, there's something just so much more artistic and, and beautiful in the older style than, than uh, the more robust, more, uh, you know, tumbling dynamic, you know, pushing your body to the edge gymnastics that we see today. And, she changed the sport. She changed the Olympics. She changed, you know, the world. It's amazing. So total hero.
know that. That's so, um, did you watch, do you remember watching her as a kid? Yeah. And, you know, then um, her coaches, you know, went on and trained um, uh, Bella and uh, Marta Caroli went on and trained, you know, uh, Mary Lou Retton, you know, and so that was, you know, more when I got to see live and, <laughs> um, you know, just it's an amazing, amazing sport that takes so much heart and talent. Yeah. And the creative energy of it. What was her style like? Just perfect execution, but with such grace. Mm. I don't even know how, how to put it, not to put it in, even to put it in like gymnastics or sports terms, but, you know, like you can cut a perfectly crisp, you know, line. And it's flawless. It's smooth, uh, but it's so crisp that it doesn't look right to your eye. Mm. Where it's 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 almost unnaturally perfect. And Nadia had an unparalleled and inhuman ability to be perfectly crisp and to the T. That that fine, perfect line, and still just look beautiful and real and very very unique no one else has been able to duplicate that what do you think that drive has come from within her I think it's just it's just who she is she always wanted to be you know the best and and I think it's just how she came out I mean 14 years old you can't even compete at that age. Like her feats will never be replicated. It's not even possible um, with the new rules of age. And even if they change those, um, uh, gymnastics scoring has changed so much. Um, what they look for is so different that we could, no one else will ever be able to achieve what she achieved. Um, but I think it's just was who she was. It just was so natural, and she just rode that instead of fighting it. Mm. I don't know. I can't even, you know, I think few people find that one thing that they're so, that they love and just naturally um, are good at, and to have it just keep so strong so quickly, very lucky. Sounds like she's used that same energy in her adult life too. I wonder if we should link to her nonprofit organization in our show notes so we can draw some attention to that. That'd be really cool. Hmm. It's interesting um, listening to you talk about her because it, you know, when our our mentors, the, the women or men that we look up to in our life as we grow up, especially the ones that we establish as children, they almost become a part of us. And I feel like your creative energy and how you execute 
your job and and how you attribute um, such value to um, the process and an importance in detail, I think almost emulates how you described that perfect line. It almost seems unnatural. And I think that sets you aside differently than others. And it almost makes you the maverick, right? Because I've heard you talk about things and your in your process and, and how you operate. And it and it's interesting then hearing you talk about this woman and it's I see her influence in your life. Like how amazing that is. Yeah. Far be it for me to agree with you because I don't fully, but I do um I do treat every task given to me like an Olympic event and I am yeah. out to win the gold. Yes. Yes. And, and very powerful, but also has uh, bit me in the backside a few times as well. <laughs> well, and, and you, you're out to win the gold with grace, right? I mean, you know, you, you are drawn to these women of grace and, and you have that quality about you. Well, no. And I don't expect you to agree with me because it's hard to see that in ourselves, but, but it's just wonderful. And I guess I'm, I'm noting this not only just for myself, but for our listeners too, because it's like, we have these childhood um, mentors and people that we are in awe of and their, their influence on our lives is profound. It's so, um, and that's why I love hearing about what, you know, what women have influenced your being, your connecting to your true authentic self. It's really cool. You're drawn to these people that are very similar to you. Out of the gate, right? Out of the gate, you related to her. Out of the gate, moment. It's undeniable. I think we all do that. It's just recognizing it. Yeah, it's difficult. I know. I realize that I'm not making you comfortable <laughs> as I get uncomfortable when you do the same to me. But it's good to do this. It's good to um, to hear these things. It's so important because it's the truth. So that's my rant about yeah. that. You love it. I always feel like you're my personal cheerleader. Is that what sisters are always for? there to to boost me up, and make me feel better, and make me see things, you know, from such a positive light. So it's an honor to do that. It's the truth. Hmm. What you been reading? So. Because perimenopause has taken over my life for the last three years, this is a, this is also in addition to all the other research I've done. Um, it's called um, "Lifting Heavy Things" by Laura Kundari and um, Licia Sky, and it's uh, it's a book about the somatic experience of um, powerlifting or working out, lifting heavy things in the gym. 
and how that becomes um, great emotional therapy, uh, especially for women. And have you heard the book, um, The Body Keeps the Score? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of, um, it's a very, it's a well-known book amongst psychiatrists and, and it's somewhat like a textbook. Um, and it's written by a man and he talks about um, somatically healing Vietnam vets with yoga and movement and how important that has been in their alleviating some of the symptoms of PTSD and things like that, like, like deep seated trauma that, that lives within the body and how that affects the body and your well-being, your, your physical well-being and longevity. And, um, and, you know, I was kind of on, so it's written a lot like a textbook. So it can almost be re-traumatizing to read the information if you are in a space where you're um, seeking support for um, for trauma. And so it may not be the book for, for people who are looking to kind of self-help or self-educate. Um, and so I thought I, I started reading it and listening to it actually on um um, on an audiobook and um it's intense it and it um but it brought it brought a lot of light to um some of the things that I was doing like so one of the things is in perimenopause is that muscle helps um alleviate some of the high up and down that that um are as women when we go through into perimenopause and menopause the the fluctuation perimenopause is very fluctuant um, hormones and muscle mass helps kind of minimize that fluctuation and so um, you know my hormones were fluctuating so dramatically that um, I couldn't eat salt or really a lot of foods because um, I could feel it in my joints and there was a lot of, um, I was having a lot of physical reactions to the foods I was eating. So I stopped eating food, a lot of food and I almost went straight vegan. Um, actually I went straight vegan and only could really eat, um, pea protein shakes. Like there's a very specific protein that, that I could digest well. So it was like, I had to cut out all food and that was, that helped. Right but it's not sustainable for, for me and my body type. Um, so I, I started lifting heavy weights and going to the gym and working with a trainer um, and learning how to lift weights in a way where I wasn't going to injure myself and to build muscle and to push myself to build muscle. And as I've done that, I think it's been almost four years now, maybe a little over four years, um, I, I'm just now entering in this space where my hormone levels have been stable for, for quite some time, about maybe nine months, I'd say, I feel like I haven't had these huge spikes where, um, I can, I can somewhat eat normally now. Granted, I eat a very clean diet, very, um, um, anti-inflammatory hormone stabling, um, clean diet so no sugar no dairy um and 
you know, I have kind of a regimented process and system, but lifting heavy weights has been a huge modality to help me with my perimenopause. I did not realize how much emotional trauma I've held in my body, especially like my legs, like wanting to um, cry sometimes when I lift heavy weights with my legs and almost feeling like um, emotional trauma is like leaving my body. And I found this book and she talks through the physicality of that and how trauma is stored in the body and um, how she used lifting heavy weights to, um, as a form of therapy to help her with her um, process of, um, of overcoming trauma. And, and, and so it, it just really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost done with it, but it, it just in the first you know, few paragraphs, I've already gained so much understanding and knowledge and also felt so heard by her because, um, you know, speaking of community, it's just, it's, it's really like, um, she was speaking my experience and my language in a way where, um, I, I knew she was telling the truth and that I knew, um, I could trust her experience and learn from it and gain from it and then, you know, hopefully pass it on. And so I, I really think for any woman that has experienced trauma at any point in their life, um, that lifting heavy weights could be a really amazing somatic therapy to um, get rid of that energy, that experience um, that your body's held in it to keep it safe you know, if you are now safe, you get to train your body to know that it is safe and also get super jacked in the process. <laughs> it's a win-win. Definitely jacked. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Like, so yeah, Lifting Heavy Things. It's a great book. It's a great alternative for someone who is not a therapist um, to learn about how uh, trauma is stored in the body and how how to help alleviate it. And it's written by a woman and it, it includes a, a male, you know, it's for men and women. It doesn't matter who's reading it, but it really is from the feminine experience. Um, and so I appreciate that. It's just a different message. Um, well, it's the same message, but delivered a little differently and more personal experience, I'd say. So that I relate to anyway. So, yeah, that's my book. Uh, my book's quite a ways away from that. It's a collection of essays. <laughs> so, uh, Me Talk Pretty One Day, David Sedaris. <laughs> and uh, again, just a collection of little essays and shorts, uh, usually centered around either his childhood or his experiences being an expatriate living outside the United States. And um, it was the first book my husband bought me. And um, it was before I ever thought that I would live overseas myself. So it was a couple years later when, when I shared in some of these experiences that this book really, you know, that that part of this book really hit home. And 
and um, you know, just the, the idioms of America and the interrelations between cultures and, and countries. And some of those experiences are just hilarious because I've had very similar ones myself. Um, but a lot of his stories are also just about, um, you know, very, very self-deprecating humor, which I truly respond to. And uh, family experiences, you know, growing up with his siblings, and I think we can all relate to uh, to that. The, the the humor horror combination of childhood, and um, so it is really fun. Um, but um, and you know, David Sedaris himself is is a fascinating individual. He's you know, lots of struggles, and and I relate to you know, speech therapy and and execution and not being able to say S's and, um, you know, those extra challenges of childhood that, you know, so many of us did experience, but still feel very alone in. And, um, you know, uh, his life really changed. He was just reading some of his journal, his personal journal, and it was so responsive. Like it was so um, you know, felt by the people hearing it. And one of them just happened to be the right person who, you know, helped him, you know, become an author and radio and personality and great humorist um, that he's known as today, just by, I mean, just by something so simple of sharing some of your stories, you don't always realize how much you can speak to people or how how much uh, someone can and people and masses can respond and so just a cool story and he's got a number of books and um, most of them will make you chuckle um, they'll all make you chuckle probably so gosh I was so want to read that now yeah did Chris read it before giving it to you? Was he inspired to give it to you after he just? I don't it? think so. I think he listened. He knew David Sedaris. He listened to him on NPR and This American Life, and and so he saw it. And yeah, yeah, our stories do inspire others, don't they? Yeah, in usually in ways we don't expect. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. You talk pretty one day. It's definitely gonna get added to the basket. <laughs> I got it. I gotta read that now. That's so cool. You have such great books. I have a lot books of books. Swap. You gotta do like a book swap or like I don't know. That would be rad. I love what you read. I really do uh, escape and to, you know, kind of have fun and get lost in a different world. Not always so great about reading to uh, self-improve or, or get better. So, yeah, we, we tend towards different things. That's cool. That's good. <laughs> mm. Well, um, yeah, speaking of inspiring others with our story, should we start kind of dipping our toe into the community conversation and kind of continue that as it began in our 
episode 1.5, 2.0, now 2.0. Yes, episode two already. Wow, I went through. It's gone by so quick. I feel like we've been doing this for a while. Yes. Well, we have. We just weren't hitting record. <laughs> yeah. <totally. laughs> you and I have been doing this for a while. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. We have not been recording all the, you know, all those the juicy jewels. secrets that we hold. <laughs> brooch fell off. Oh, no. Tell me about your brooch. What inspired the, the butterfly? Uh, this was my grandma Barbara's. <gasps> yeah, I'm not normally a, a butterfly type of woman, but I'm trying to work through the uh, brooches that people have given me. So episode one, I wore the brooch you gave me with this awesome dragon. This one was my grandmother's. And um, yes, I've got quite a few. What about yours? So there's this woman I follow on Instagram. It's Drawings by Julie. And she makes these weird mother, she has like a weird mother uh, website. And I'm a weird mom. And, um, and I was just kind of browsing her website and um, noticed that she had uh, pins or brooches. And so it's actually a Ouija board that says weird mothers powered by coffee. Yeah, only you. Yeah. She's great. <laughs> and this is great. So I wear it. Because I have been powered by coffee, one full French press in, and maybe a little bit more later on down the day. But who's counting? Not me. Don't count coffee. <laughs> coffee, water, same thing. You know, yeah. you're here. <laughs> you're here. <laughs> so cool. I'm actually surprised at how many brooches are out there. I, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have a hard time with the whole brooch thing. Like, but there are actually a lot of brooches and a lot of brooches that, that really um, tell a story. I mean, I feel like women wore brooches to communicate something and, and to have a voice when they couldn't speak. And so I mean, same with maybe even fiber arts, which I think maybe we should get into at some point. Um, but that like the, the I, you encouraged me to kind of go down a brooch rabbit hole and it's pretty amazing. Like I thought brooches were kind of old and, um, and a bit outdated, but they're actually very rebellious and, and sort of, um, you know, out there. So I, I, I'm, I love that. I, you know, I can wear a brooch and be outspoken. So. Yes. That is why we're bringing back the brooch. <laughs> yes. Mavericks with brooches. So good. So community. So we talked, we talked about community as being um, really a supportive catalyst for getting out of ourselves and taking the leap and, and 
doing things outside of our comfort zone. Um, and that we, we don't have to do that alone. Um, in fact, we're so much more successful if we don't do that alone. And it becomes a much more enjoyable process. And it's interesting um, that, you know, community is, is getting a little more difficult to cultivate. And um, I know I talk about this, I think I've mentioned this several times here in this space, and but I know I mention it a lot elsewhere, is that um, the Surgeon General posted a, a report about loneliness in the U.S., and um, I found a piece of information I thought was kind of interesting on, on how, you know, disconnection from others and loneliness um, is as unhealthy as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's some powerful comparison and painting a picture of how important community is for us. But why is it so hard to create or to participate in? That, um, that's a very strong visual. And it also highlights, not only is it very clear, because we all know, you know, what smoking does. Um, it's very visual picture, but that's our physical health, not just our mental health. That comparison shows that it affects our entire being, not just loneliness. That's intense. So yes, community is, is critical. So how can we make it easier to, to have that? Um, and, and why is it so hard? And um, so, you know, especially in this day and age where we seem like we're so interconnected. We have email and voicemail and text messaging and all these digital tools at our disposal. It should be easier. It should be as instant as those text messages. Why isn't it? Why doesn't that work or does it we just have to figure out how to use it effectively what piece do we miss when we rely on that right um i mean you know you you had talked about you know our physiological responses to being in the same space and I don't think we can discount that. We need that as well. But I mean, that can still be as simple as, you know, a grocery store and being in the same space and movie theaters. It doesn't necessarily rely on, you know, more heartfelt or genuine interaction. We need that too. But, you know, um, but how do we bridge that gap? What makes it different being in the same space and, you know, um, being in the same air? I feel like some of it is 
Should we first define what community is for us? Um, for me, I think community is a group of people with a shared purpose or shared values. Um, something that is shared, that is that is the same amongst everyone. And I um, and I think too, a healthy community ha um, it, it's necessary to have a shared openness and willingness to something that is different. Um, I think I think not to get confused community with silos of thought or groupthink or any of those types of more closed-minded um, where there is separation of self. I think it's it's a space where there's lack of separation and unified um, a unified vision or a unified purpose. So that that to me, when I when I talk about community, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Individuals who share a common goal or passion. So, you know, it's not, I think we use um, family sometimes intermittently, especially from like a workspace perspective. Oh, we're your work family. Well, I think your work community and community is just as critical. It doesn't lose something by being community over family. Um, but yeah, just would define it as, um, you know, and there's different kinds of communities. There are our personal friend communities um, where we do, you know, our hobbies and our things we enjoy, um, video games and uh, kayaking and whatever it may be. And there's our work communities and our peers and our colleagues. And um, we have to create those sense of belonging in that that fulfillment in all of them. And it is challenging. And, um, you know, some of them are virtual and some of them are not, or mostly a mixed bag at this point in the evolution of humanity. Um, and so how do we get that same sense of community out of, you know, a computer screen and a keyboard and a cell phone? Um, and how do we recognize what we actually need as the individual, what that community looks like for us and what, um, what gives us the best sensation and the best uh, reward out of that community. And, and it is challenging then, especially in midlife, right? Um, our wants and needs change. And, ours, you know, what we are focusing on in our lives has changed, um, you know, our family picture and, and all these things. Um, and, you know, we recognize that change in so many other areas, but we don't always see that next level of, okay, now I need to do something different for even these baseline sensations of community and inclusion that I had just not that long ago, going out with friends to you know have a drink 
you know, used to satisfy and now it doesn't, you know, why? And now what do I find to replace it? Yeah. And I, it's interesting going back to your first question about why is it so hard to cultivate that? And, you know, it's interesting in a community there it, it's relationship building with a group of people, you know, it, it is in any relationship, there needs to be a give and receive. And um, if you're a part of a one-sided community, right, where there's, there's just taking and you're not receiving anything, which I think can happen a lot in our, in our work environments where we're giving, giving, giving. And then there's this, um, expectation that that's what we do but but there is no it's not um reciprocated there's um a tendency as a human to um to shut down to disengage right and so that cultivates disengagement with your work community or or you know company culture um and that's that's number one i think because we spend most of our time in our in our work environments, whereas then we go home, and um, you know we're experiencing life on a digital platform, and so we are. Um, I think a lot of um, we're challenged to have that um, multifaceted relationship building where we're receiving and giving. You know, we're giving to others, um, giving advice or you know, on an open forum, I feel like, you know, places like Reddit is really great because it's very anonymous. People are extremely honest and truthful. And, and, and there is this um, great sense of community there because it's so open. There is such giving and receiving. I, I post something on there and ask for feedback. I get it and I get the truth. I get people's truth. And I'm and I am grateful for it, even though sometimes it's kind of hard to hear. Yet it it can get a little out there too, right? So you get to like, but I think that's good because that that whole that keeps the silos down, you know, like the the almost rigorous honesty within those groups. But then there's a lot of communities where there's so many. Um, it's it's much more difficult to to take care of its members is not necessarily a part of the greater uh, purpose for everyone there, like the shared purpose. And and I think that is really necessary for us to effectively, um, I guess, uh, manage our loneliness or or lack of connection. And um, and even too, I think some of it is that we are not we are trained to take care of ourselves. I feel like our culture and our you know a lot of it is very much like the man is an island, and um, and and you have to take care of number one, and you're number one instead of. Um, more of a communal attitude where it's the greater good of the, the group is more important. And I think um, if you look in uni, uni, 
Carl Jung and Jungian, Jungian, Jungian philosophy. Um, the individual is the, um, the masculine, whereas the community is the feminine. Feminine leaders are much more transformational leaders where they're, they're more focused on the greater good of the group rather than the greater good of me. And, um, and it, so it's interesting to see how in this much more masculine um, dominated leadership or um, community cultivators, um, we are so lonely and, and don't understand or not, are not accustomed to um, this exchange of giving and receiving, being able to receive first and foremost and being able to give um, freely, um, which is much more, um, comes much easier in, in communities that have um, a more feminine um, mindset or transformational um, mindset. And so I, I think it's interesting, like we talk about patriarchy, but it's not really patriarchy. It is more the mindset of the individual. I'm going to take care of number one. And um, whereas the feminine is more, we take care of everyone and ourselves included. So I landed or was thinking of it very similarly, uh, but from a slightly different um, platform. Um, you know, we are, as, as workers, we are broken up into two main categories, right? We have the blue collar working man um, trade out in the field, right? And, and I've been there that, you know, I've worked up those ranks, um, you know, and, and in that place. And then we have the, the corporate side, which is where I am now, um, which is, you know, cubicles and office environment and white collar and college graduates and um, everything. There's, there's so many differences, so many wedges down to how we get paid, you know, hourly versus salary. And it's, it's two different, very different worlds. And having experienced both, the more uh, the issue of community and dissatisfaction and loneliness and um, out for self is experienced in the corporate world, we don't hear of as many or as deep-seated problems from, from the field in those, um, they, they don't experience that to the extent we experience it in the corporate world. And exploring, you know, why, what is that difference? And um, I think it comes down to, to a few different things. Um, some as simple as how we are learn, learn and develop into our roles in those two environments, right? Um, in the trade area, we tend to have master and apprentice and we learn from each other and it's very structured. You rise up through the ranks and in the corporate world and, you know, you come from the college experience, which is much more uh, reliant on the individual for success. It's not always as much 
of a team effort um, where to get where you want to be. Um, so I think, you know, in it, right out of the gate, we have a divide and a difference in how we how we function. Um, so, you know, different re different purposes or different um, places that we work from. But also, I think it's just also comes down to what we are doing out in the field. It is tangible. It is tactile. Mm -hmm. It is very reliant on each other. It's a two-man job. Each person has their task, and it is clear, and there's no denying you need the other person sometimes just to come home alive, right? And so that goal, that, that same goal, that same purpose is so intrinsic into the work you're doing that you don't have to look for it. You don't have to fight for it. Um, it it's just there. And when we get into the corporate environment and we're much more in our heads and we're much more in our silos and we have our independent goals and independent actions that are um, sometimes not out contradictory, right? <laughs> the person sitting next to us. <laughs> and um, it, it's so much harder to see. You have to work to see that shared purpose, that shared goal, and that shared reliance on each other. Um, so how do we build that? How do we shine those lights as leaders on that um, and build that sense of community that, that you, other areas don't struggle with to the same extent? Mm. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love hearing about the blue collar because it, and then really the shared purpose becomes safety, which is um, a basic um, and almost primal need. Right. And, and not almost, it is a primal need. And that really levels the playing field and really alleviates any, um, it just gets rid of a lot of ego, right? In a sense, um, and and ego with no caveat of whether ego is good or bad. That that's not that's not here nor there. That's not about the that com this conversation. Ego is there's a purpose to ego, um, but the ego is the um, attention and focus on self, and and the ego's um, um, shifts from self to um, to community because that is the most important thing in that blue collar environment where you know safety and um, and teamwork is is a top priority and almost um, baseline safety and and life giving so or life keeping so it's interesting in in corporate cultures I think from my perspective. Um, and from, from where, from what I've experienced is that the leader has to actively cultivate, um, that same blue collar experience you described, um, by, um, 
creatively um, cultivating importance on teamwork and on um, on really training the ego to need each other, right? It, it, it is um, cultivating that same experience within the corporate world um, because it is very important, but, but it's not safety, so to say, that that is um is at risk it is it is really success that that is at risk that is long-standing success or short-standing success or um or even um the experience itself as a team of working through you know a problem if you're having to do all of that under your own pressure and and not being able to ask for help that is so much more um it takes so much more time it is more exhausting um it and it's not done as well if you invite others in and it becomes um you know everyone has their role and and there is a clear path kind of put before them um i think leadership and this is part of you know why i think transformational leadership is such a big deal is because the 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 focus of transformational leadership is really taking the um, the strengths of each individual and empowering the team itself with those strengths and empowering the people that that you lead um, to to further develop their skills. You know, when I when I was um, a leader of a group of people. One guy was not good at answering the phones and another guy was. So I stuck them right next to each other. And I told both of them, I mean, we had a very candid conversation. You're not as experienced on the phone and, and this other person is, you know, help each other. Like, you know, and, and this person is not really good at um, um, structure or, um, or creating systems. Um, can you help this other person with their symptoms or their systems? And so they they both had a strength that the other person was more weak in. And so they were equally supporting each other on both of these aspects. And and the end result was both of them became really um, well-renowned leaders within that same uh, corporation, right? And 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 were very successful because they supported each other through that and their relationship together. Um, deepened and um, allowed for them to con continuously lean on each other for different things throughout their career as they kind of moved on, right? And and I think that's a beautiful thing. When I also had um, once a week, one of the team members would teach all of us something that they do well, right? And so, um, you know, <clears throat> Morgan was really good at this one part of um, a platform that we used and everyone knew it. And what would you like Morgan to teach us? The group together decided what they wanted this person to teach. And so they, because they were part of the decision-making process, they paid a lot more attention than me being just like, Morgan, teach them this, right? It was all a group, it was all a group decision. And so that's how transformational leadership creates this sense of community because you're empowering the community to empower itself and you just kind of sit back and watch it all happen and flourish. 
it's like it's like putting nutrients in the dirt and there's a bunch of seeds in there and watering it every once in a while and watching you know your garden grow it's nothing I'm physically doing it's it's opportunities that I'm putting before a team of really amazing humans I just totally got on a soapbox. I apologize. I went. <laughs> no, that was a, a great soapbox. I'll, I'll allow it. Because um, I think what you're, you know, I think we're good at building the garden and mm-hmm. planting the seed. It's that coming back to rewater and what that looks like. That reinforcement of um, really every day actively reminding your people what their piece is and what their strength is mm-hmm. and the importance of their piece and where it fits. Like you can't do your job without Joe and Joe can't do his job without Kelsey and you all have to work together. And when we can't see it, when it's not tangible, um, you know, cause in the, in the corporate environment offices, you know, we fix, we build, we repair, just like other areas, but it's digital. It's um, it's a you know manual or a process or something that we can't just put at the desk at the end of the day and say, "Woohoo, I made this!" Right? And and so it's already less rewarding. And we really have to focus on 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 that piece, that reinforcement, and that steadiness, because um, you're never going to be the leader you want to be if you just plant the seeds. Yeah, and nurturing and watering looks different for every culture, right? And every plant, (laughs) right? I mean, and trust me, I can kill a plant in no time. Um, So I'm much better with people who can speak to me and tell me what they need. (laughs) But uh, that doesn't mean I still don't have a lot to learn. but you have to, you know, adjust and yeah. some people need to hear things more than others. And, and some people are better with that visual of where their piece fits and that interconnectivity. And, and some people, you know, never get there. Like they just, it's so outside of their scope to understand how it all works. Um, so you just have to constantly work at that and help people. Do you think that that beautiful leadership style that you have and that I think and this is just a question just because I'm curious and I'm seeing a pattern and I could be wrong but do you think that um, director level to middle management right so like those two facets can really, are really empowered to hold that type of leadership. But if you get above the director level, that type of leadership becomes more difficult and less effective. And you have to try harder and you have to really nurture in a much more intentional and impactful way and the message gets lost. Yeah, I um personally I think of it as like a ripple, mm-hmm. right? Um, so every rung you move up, 
you get, you know, farther from that core and farther from the immediate vision or that, you know, what you're building or what your company is truly, you know, their, their goal, right? But you are encompassing more of it. But each ring also gets that little bit thinner. Um, so you have more, but your touch points and the effectivity of that um, changes. And you really have to see and adjust your, your um, actions accordingly. And it's very challenging because for all our mentorship and all our coaching and all our teaching and all our, you know, building people up and making them ready, you know, we still always forget that, you know, the goal changes at each level. And the vision and the picture. And, you know, we talk about 10,000 feet, 30,000 feet, but we don't directly relate that to, you know, where you are in the structure of your company. We leave that to the to learn it the hard way. <laughs> Sink or swim, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think the higher up you go, the more you have to create a, a bigger wave in order to be as effective on the same levels that you could be just as effective with a, a smaller wave. Yeah. Or pointed wave. Yeah. Because that level or that openness to interpretation is now going through so many more people. You have to be more clear. And that is one of our ultimate challenges is being clear in what we are asking, right? Do you think that that happens on a, and, and I'm saying maybe on a community level, like within a town, like say if I were involved in a nonprofit in town um, and I really wanted to make a difference in the, the community in which I live, and for people in the community in which I live. And that is something that, you know, where I can, you know, be a part of a group that with a shared purpose and a shared value system and all of those things. And I, you know, it's outside of work and it, it, it kind of feeds into my greater purpose and things like that, whether it be an online community, a digital community, or whether it would be such as the Boss Lady Alliance, or would it be, um, you know, a physical community within which I live? And, and so I, you know, thinking about the corporate world and then now kind of bridging that into, um, I don't know, um, I don't want to say political, but, but more, more community um, involvement um, on the on the ground community involvement um, do you think that same principle it is that those who are in say on a on a community board have to create a much more pointed um, precise ripple effect versus the volunteers that show up to um, support the cause, right? Like the volunteers that show up to support the cause, that's immediate instant gratification. You're doing something awesome for someone else. You're feeling really good about um, 
being there and participating in, you know, something that's meaningful to you, it's instant gratification. But the second you get into these um, more um, directive roles or um, a shared, you know, being on a board or, or you know, decision makers and planners um, to create that pointed ripple effect um, has got to be a bit like the same experience. Yeah, I think I think we all in different facets have the same experience. It's, yeah, you know, even you know, even in our personal lives, because um, I think you know, again, that that tangibility, that eye contact, that vocalization back and forth, um, you know, being in the same air, you know, perhaps you know, uh, you know, handshake or or another kind of you know touch. Um, is really, you know, critical to to the sensation of community and and in really feeling it and and it, and being a part of it, um, you know, and um, you have to really, you know, at every level work on those those level, you know, the communication and imparting what you need, but you have to know what you need and how do you recognize, um, you know, why you're not feeling like you're part of the community and why it's not working for you. And like, again, like you said, showing up and, you know, I want to go do a good deed. Well, okay, that's a pretty easy way to get gratification. And that's great, but it's not always going to work. And it's not going to, to um, you know, you cannot... <laughs> give up that much of your time for it to be the only way that you receive that community and that that feeling you need um it, you just you can't do enough to get enough um so you know what does it really come down to and i think it's that uh reciprocation like you have to give and you have to receive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. In preparation for this conversation, I started writing what removes us from community and what connects us to community. And both of those things, um, it's funny, I started writing like isolation, outdoors, gathering, sound, touch, service, commitment. Um, and, and all of those things can either remove us from community or connect us to community. Like all of the things, um, isolation, silos, both of those can remove us or connect us, right? And so I was really thinking like, you know, truly what, what across the board um, is I wrote attitude. And, and then I thought about attitude and I thought about belief. And, and those seem, if I have a, a belief, a lot allows me to have an attitude. My attitude is a derivative of my belief. So my belief systems um, can either remove me or connect me to a community. And, and just to drill it down to really like, if someone listening, feels disconnected 
and wants to become part of a community or um, or feels that it is a part of a community, but but it isn't fulfilling. Uh, I I think honestly, and and I'm just speaking for myself, and and I would love to hear what your thoughts are around this. But but belief is a is the core of what causes loneliness or not loneliness or fulfillment and not fulfillment fulfillment and community or not community connection or disconnection all of those things what are what are the core beliefs that are informing my decisions or my experiences if my experience is something that is not uh, conducive to how i want to live my life what core belief uh, sits at the root of that. It's amazing because I went down um, almost the exact same path. So. <laughs> <laughs> How's that I, for strategic thinking? Belonging is synonymous with relationship and attachment and association and kinship and loyalty. Yeah. Right? And your loyalty to your community, to your work, to your peers, to your coworkers, your family. Right. And that takes you right to duty mm -hmm. and what it is you are supposed to be delivering in these roles and your responsibility and the acceptance of that. Right. Which takes you right to faith and belief and that open mindedness of this is what I bring and this is what I need to bring it. So good. So since we said the same thing in totally different ways, hopefully we reach someone. I I think that is so profound that we both did similar work intuitively and both came up with the same root. How beautiful is that? I think it just helps it ring true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I think where we, one place we get lost in community um, is that it's not about popularity. It mm -hmm. doesn't even have to be about likability. It is about shared experience and that reliance towards the end goal. Right. It's it's being a part of something that's more than yourself. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And unfortunately, because we spend so much of our time at work and it is such a big piece of our survival in our lives, um, you know, we have to get a large percentage of our community um and our, you know, that belonging from our work life. Uh, and that's unfortunate because it's not the best way. It adds challenges and makes it harder. Um, but it is, you know, we do have to focus on that or we're never going to have um, the satisfaction and the contentment and the, um, all the, the good things we need in our life out of that, you know, because 
It's um, it's interesting too because I think that a lot of us that have worked in corporate environments or or just any work environment is that um, the quote unquote little guy or non C suite um, worker. Um, is now recognizing the power they hold to cultivate positive change. And so then there is a lot of opportunity um, to participate in the shift and change in the culture that you live and work in and to um, effectively make it and participate in it in a way that allows for a different experience, a more positive experience, a more holistic experience, a more inclusive experience for all. And, and I'm, I'm noticing that there is a collision of that, of that um, change and it's scary for some of the more, you know, C-suite team because it is a big shift and there is a big, um, challenge ahead of them um, but it's absolutely with an open mind um, which sometimes get you know minds get opened through pain just as much as through joy and love so however you get there I think ultimately the power lies within the masses and and that um, a more positive out a more positive community within company cultures is absolutely um, possible and I think on its way to actualizing. It's going to be slow. Do you know how long it takes to change a culture within a company, a medium-sized company? Too long. At least 10 years. 10 years. Most of the people that would cultivate that change will have already left by then. But the ripple effect is still there and it still resonates. So I think that um, also with that knowledge, even though that seems very scary and sad, is that don't be afraid to be the leader that you want. Don't be afraid to be the community member that you want. Don't be afraid to be the, uh, the comrade that you want because it is absolutely possible to leave a lasting positive ripple effect with, um, with the positive belief that this world can be better tomorrow than it is today. Yeah. While we're doing that, we don't have to wait for that reward we may never see. I mean, I think we've, you know, we recognize those long-term goals and those long-term changes. Um, and, and those are great, very important, but that doesn't mean there aren't short-term rewards that are more tangible that we can focus on in the interim, right? Those connections we build and those, those work relationships and that community within team, um, you know, those can, you know, while we're working on that 10-year plan, you know, can have that immediate sensation and reward of that instant community and that help within each other and that um, 
I relied on so-and-so and they relied on me, right? And that that instant gratification and fulfillment that we can reach for very easily by putting aside our ego or our personal long-term goal of, you know, if I do this on my own, I will look that little bit better and maybe in two years or next year when promotions or raises come around, you know, that'll, that'll get me leveled up, right? And scale back and just say, okay, I can help that person and I can feel good today. Yeah. Can I read a passage from a book that recently came out? It's called, it's written by young Pablo, Clarity and Connection. And um, this is on page 163. We feel so safe with the ones we love that we often share with them our tension, our stress, our fear, our sadness, and even our anger. But let us remember to also give them the best versions of ourselves, our joy and happiness, our excitement and peace, our attention and care. Take care of each other. Mm. Yeah. That is community, taking care of each other. Any good takeaways? What resonated most with you today? I think what resonated a lot with me is when you brought up um, the workers and and the connection that they felt when safety was involved and um, how our perception of safety gets skewed um, when we work in a more digital format. And so I think that also co coincides with um, the fact that loneliness is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, but that um, it's not as um, tangible or obvious, but um, taking care of the people that you work alongside, whether it be in a digital or physical format, is um, extremely important for you on a health level and extremely important for them. What about you? I think um, recognizing that that sense of community and belonging and our personal requirement of that changes throughout our lives and taking that time to change and try different things to ensure that we get that um, sensation and those that community um, that we need through a different medium. Just one more thing on the to-do list, but take that time to um, to try another way. If you're not feeling that, take the time to try another way. Listening to that, I also 
you know, it reminded me of another thing that you said is about how you don't have to wait for that ripple effect that you can cultivate that gratifying sense of community and connection instantly just by um, the small shifts in how you work with a team or an individual that that gratification is achievable at any moment. I think when you boil it all down, it comes down to reliance, mm -hmm. being relied upon and relying on others is what gives us that sense of communication, community and belonging, right? Because that is ultimately what it's about, those joint goals. Um, so sometimes that means you have to make the first step. So revisit how to take a leap and why. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's what it's going to take. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Christy. Mm -hmm. Please, um, I'm sure you're listening to us today and you have thoughts and insights and suggestions and personal experience. Um, please share. In a few days, um, we'll be taking that feedback we receive and continuing this conversation. Um, so, you know, please be, be a part of the conversation in the community that we are hoping to build here. And uh, to do that, you can find us and you can be part of that through Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. Um, we recommend Patreon or RSS. It's a great uh, digital community for community or for conversation back and forth. Um, you can listen on Spotify or Amazon Music. You can see us laughing at each other on YouTube. Um, like, subscribe, and again, please, please comment. Excited to hear what people resonate with and yeah, can't wait for the 2.5. <laughs> yeah, join the briefs because that's when we really get deep. Yeah, we get all intense. This right in like the weeds. <laughs> right. Real quick. <laughs>